just want to make a dent in the universe. I thought about that for a moment and I said, you know, I guess I want to make a dent in the universe too. When God said, go and, and, and start this church, make a, a place with me where people can cry out to me, where they can call out. Uh, Jeremiah 29, verses 13. When I, when I call out to you, when I search for you with my whole heart, when I pray to you, when I listen for you, the, the writer says, God says, I will be found by you. I will find you. And, and that little dent here moving out is, is something that, that, I, that I felt compelled to follow. And... Um, and so I read a little bit more on this guy named Jason Russell. Jason Russell was the co-founder of the Invisible Children Corporation. And if you haven't heard of Invisible Children, I'm surprised in the last few days. Um, they made a video called Coney 2012 that came out on March 5th on YouTube. I watched it on Thursday night. I can't remember the date. I won't do math for you. But I watched it on Thursday night. And on, on Wednesday night, it had 15.5 million views on Wednesday night at 11 o'clock. I refreshed it on Thursday morning at 10. It had 32.6 million views. Uh, Yesterday, it had 67 million views just on YouTube, and I'm sure it's been regenerated. There's 12 or 15 million on Vimeo, and who knows how else it's going. And the whole whole premise of this this movement is to... um, that we are connected to other people in the world. As, as God's children, we are connected. So this movement is, is propelling us and compelling us to, to save children in, in Uganda. There's a lot of controversy around it and, um, and how they spend their money. And so they put stuff out on their website, and I encourage you to do your own research. I bring it up as an example of, of a, a group of people, a really a small group of people, who use their gifts that God had given them to change the world so that children could be rescued for God's glory. And that's, that's what we're doing. That's what we're concluding this series with. That's why um, when we were asked a few months ago or by several people, you know, do you, do you pass an offering plate? And we're like, no, we have a basket. You know, we have a tower in the corner and people can give online. And, uh, and, you know, that way there's no pressure. And, you know, several people said, well, that's great, but sometimes I forget to do that. And that's great to go online, but sometimes I don't really want to do that. So, so we have started, and I don't know if we'll just continue to do it, but we've started for the last few weeks to pass a basket around. And it's an invitation to include your offering in worship. And so as a basket comes by, we encourage you to, to give... Um, we're going to start talking in March about how we spend our money so that you guys are aware too. That um, video just kind of compelled me to realize that we give, um, you didn't probably know this, but we give 15% of our budget back into the covenant mission and movement to start new churches, to work in uh, other countries, and to help missionaries. And I'm really proud of that. Um, you know that we give food to Westview. We do these other things that are outside of this place. And some of those things are inside because part of the mission of God is to grow together that we're going to talk about. So, so I encourage you to participate in that, but no pressure to participate in that. Again, it's, it's a way that we use 
what God has given us to say, it's not about me, it is about him. Um, the Bible says in, in Ephesians 2 that we are created as God's masterpieces. For you are God's masterpiece. He's created you anew in Christ Jesus so you can do good things that he planned for you long ago. And the, uh, the word in the original language is, is kind of a workmanship. It's this idea of shaping. It's an artist. It's a, it's a molding. And it's very similar to a fingerprint. It, when God shapes us, he makes each one of us unique. Not so that we can stand up and be like, when God made me, he broke the mold. <laughs> I got that card when I was 12. I didn't know what it meant from my mom. Um, but not to say that we're unique and it's about us, but to say God individually crafts us. He individually shapes us for his good and for his glory. And, and so we, it would be very easy for us to, um, to just say, hey, go, as we conclude this series on the Holy Spirit, you just go and you discover your gifts and you just, um, you just use them and I bet God will be glorified. Amen. Uh, unfortunately, people have been hugely wounded over people using their gifts or people thinking they're using their gifts. Just a couple examples. A friend of mine, 10 years ago, um, this couple that we uh, were friends with or are friends with uh, were infertile and, uh, and they'd been trying for almost 10 years to have children and a, a woman came up to them as they were in prayer and she said, I have the gift of knowledge and I have a word from the Lord that you are going to conceive a child. And I believe it. And you just have faith and you will too. That was another 10 years ago. And they still don't have any children. Been hugely wounded over that comment. Um, people have used the gift of prophecy and evangelism to hurl insults and accusations and hatreds towards minority groups of people in the name and ironically love of Jesus. Um, people have used the gift of speaking in tongues to determine if someone is truly a follower of Jesus. Uh, people have used the spiritual gift of leadership to rule over people in a, in a manipulative and harmful way. So, so the question isn't just go and use your gifts, but how can God be glorified in our spiritual gifts? That's really the compelling question this morning. If there are so many potential problems with this, how do we do it right? Is there anything that we can watch out for? And 1 Corinthians 12 gives us really good insight into that question. So uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to pray. If you want to look at it, I encourage you to open it. If you want to use it on your phone, if you want to go grab one in the back, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 gives us a really um, compelling answer to the question of how can God be glorified in our gifts. So as we turn to it, would you pray with me? God, we, we give you ourselves as we, as we sang um, that the cry of our heart is to give you praise because your glory does go beyond all fame. And God, we want you to be glorified in our lives that your glory shining through would really make a difference in the world, not for us, but for you. God, we, we give you offering as 
to say it's not about um, what we get, but you own it all, and, and we trust and depend on you. God, we want our lives to be a song. Uh, and, and we want together, communally, to have that be a, a song that fits together. And, and so we pray that as we look at your word, that you would speak through us and to us. That these wouldn't be my words, God, but they'd be yours, that they'd come through. Um, this, some of these passages, if, if we've walked with you, God, are, are passages that we might have read, we might have studied, we might have even taught, and, and maybe we've looked at them incorrectly. So I pray that we'd come as, as unbiased as possible. Um, God, but for those that, of us who haven't read these before, may you, may you speak to us in a way that causes us to reflect and change. Again, for your glory, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as you turn to 1 Corinthians 12, uh, to look at what might potential problems arise from the spiritual gifts or how God can be glorified in the spiritual gifts, a little note on the background of this. Um, these, this is a letter. It's written to the people of, of the city of Corinth, the followers of Jesus of Corinth. And Corinth was uh, kind of a famous cosmopolitan city. Uh, it was famous for its temple, for Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of love. And so people were really into their beauty. They were into their youth. Um, they had a lot of, um, well, we'll just call it sexual immorality going on in this city. And so... Um, <clears throat> The followers of Jesus kind of were tempted from that, but they were also just, there, there were often these, uh, ri- honestly, the best way I know how to describe it is like a rave party. Um, that they would go to these temples and they would just party down and get really drunk and have lots of debauchery going on. And so there were some times where the, the Christians would come together to celebrate communion and it would kind of turn into a rave party. They would, they would go to drink the wine and the bread and it would turn into a drunk fest and, and the people who are lower on the social scale um, would often not even get any wine or any food because everybody else had drank it all and gotten really... So it was, it was, it was kind of bad news. They, they, they had trouble figuring this out. And what they did was they wrote to the Apostle Paul, this, this guy who had been traveling through and visiting, and, and so the first half of the letter... Paul's describing the gospel, he's describing the story of Jesus, and then the second half of the letter, he says things like, now, concerning what you wrote about, concerning your question about, uh, I want to address this. And so five or six different times, after I think chapter seven, he says this. He says, now, concerning your question about X, let me talk to you about that. Now, concerning marriage, he says, and now concerning... Uh, offering, and now concerning communion, now concerning, and he gets to chapter 12, and he says, now, concerning the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. So, so this leads us kind of into that first warning sign of what was happening, of these spiritual gifts. The first warning is just being unaware of them, thinking that, that gifts are the same as natural talents, and sometimes that gets really hard right now, because in the last, oh, I think five years, uh, Hollywood and, and um, news reporters even have talked about people's gifts the same as they talk about their talents. And, um, and I love, um, I like to read, and uh, I'm fascinated with Donald Clifton and Marcus Buckingham and uh, 
uh, Tom Roth, and, and they write in the language called Strength Finders, if you've ever read this, this Strength Finders 1.0 or Strength Finders 2.0, or go and put your strengths to work, or now manage your strengths, or now discover your strengths. And it's really cool, and you can get this whole language of, of how you're uniquely maybe talented or, or crafted. The only problem is it just has nothing to do with God. I'm not saying God can't use it. I'm just saying it has nothing to do with God. And supernatural Holy Spirit power is different than our strengths and our talents. Now, sometimes they overlap, but they are different. And so he's saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. In verses 4 through 6, he says there are different kinds of gifts, but they come from the same Spirit who gives them out. There are different kinds of service, but they come from the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them, and in everyone, it's the same God at work. So think like one God and many gifts that come out from that God. And that's the first thing. And actually, the second thing, thinking that something is a spiritual gift when it's not. He says, no, no, they're not. It's not exactly like that. Everybody has one spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 says, to each person... A special gift from God is given, one kind or another. So, so God has at least one thing when you say yes to Jesus that he gives you. Now, you might be a little bit sad because you might look over at somebody else and be like, well, they have 12, but I only have one. I really want more. Um, and that's just like the Spirit decides what we'll get. And then um, when he says yes, then we get that. And our job is to see that, to obey that, and to practice that. And so um, some of the Corinthians were thinking that, especially because there were 12 temples of different gods and goddesses, these Christians were thinking that maybe these different spiritual gifts came from different spirits. And so he says, no, 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 no. No, all the gifts come from one spirit. Verse 8 says, "...to one who is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom." to another knowledge, by means of the same Spirit, and to another faith, by means of the same Spirit. Even though he's describing these different kind of gifts that are important, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, discernment, um, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, he's saying all of these things work through one and the same Spirit. That's why he says this over and over. If you look at those verses closely, you'll see knowledge, same spirit. Faith, same spirit. Gifts, healing, same spirit. He's consistently trying to reiterate, especially to this, this culture that has 12 different pagan temples in it. No, no, no. All comes from God. And maybe you're like, well, you know, that, that's just not... We would never fall... We would never succumb to that idea. Well, um, when we start to look at other people's talents, when we start to look at what other people can do, and we start to wonder where that comes from, and we start to want that, I think it has a tendency to fall into this specific thing, thinking that a different spirit might give us that gift. Uh, Another one of the things that, that this author is saying or this writer is saying to these people is um, 
we can't have all the gifts. One person will not have all the gifts, nor do we get to choose these gifts. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says that all of us together are Christ's body. And each one of you is a part of it. Here are some of the gifts and some of the parts that God has appointed to the church. The first is apostles. Apostles came in and started something. So they came first. Second are prophets, those that told the truth, spoke truth for God. Third are teachers, those who continue to explain things, those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages or in tongues. But catch what it says following. It says, are all of us apostles? The It's rhetorical. No. Are all of us prophets? Are all of us teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret? Of course not. Because if we did, what would that say? Say, I don't, I don't need anyone else. If, if that was really true, if you think about who might have all the spiritual gifts, it's not a trick question. It's like the Sunday school, right? right? What's like gray and has a bushy tail and eats nuts. And the kid says, I think it's a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus. Right? So if anyone would have the spiritual gifts, all the spiritual gifts, it would be Christ. And then you look at Christ's ministry, and what does he do? Number one, he sits in his Jewish home, and he learns from a mom and a dad. And he, he figures out how to handle sibling rivalry. We don't get that, the story, but then he, he grows up and learns a trade, and then when he's 30, he goes into a public teaching mode, a Jewish teacher mode, and then he calls 12 disciples. Now, there were some uh, bigger reasons that he did that, um, than just the one I'm about to say. But one of the things that that shows us is that, that God wanted to work through an ordinary group of people. And when we just highlight the one superstar, that doesn't show God's image. It's like in Genesis when he says male and female, he created them because one of us does not contain the image of God solely. Us in plurality, us in community, reflects that image of God. Um, and, so, and so we have to understand in the same way that the Corinthians did that, that other people are necessary and we have to depend on them, kind of like we talked about last week. Now, we don't necessarily like to do that. Um, the best uh, way that, that I thought of describing this was I was a swimmer, and I think I've told you that before, and, and my event was the, the 200 individual medley. Uh, and uh, I was the best swimmer on our team that could do that, so I'm not bragging. I was the only one who could really do that race, and so this event was uh, a a lap of butterfly, a lap of backstroke, a lap lap of breaststroke, and a lap of freestyle. Most people did the front crawl, and I was a pretty good butterflyer, so I would come in first or second after the first lap, but then it's an individual medley, so then I had to turn around and do backstroke, which was like drowning. 
I mean, everyone laughed at me. I watched my coach on the side of the pool because I was always put in the last lane because those were the slow lanes. Uh, because I would come in and I would be in first or second and then I would hit the wall and then I would start going backwards and I, the rest of my body would be underwater and I was kind of a flailing duck. And, um, and then I would hit the wall and then I would try and catch up for the next hundred yards. And it was just brutal to do this alone. But they had another race called the 200 medley relay where you took your four um, strokes and you picked your four best swimmers in those strokes and then you did the race together. And this is a race that took about two minutes, two minutes and 30 seconds. And in the relay, these people would come in 30 seconds faster, 50 seconds faster, sometimes even a minute faster because they got to use their best of what they showed, of, of what the team contained. And I think the world takes note when a group of ordinary people, such as ourselves, or such as the people in Corinth, come together, figure out how God has made them work together, what they're good at in, in God, not just in their talents. And the world sees that make a huge dent for God's kingdom. The world takes note of that. Um, and it's, it's fun when that happens. And there have been times where I've seen that happen here. And I, I bet, I'm imagining, I'm doing some uh, hopefully Holy Spirit imagining here, I imagine that there were times in Corinth when that was happening. And that's why I think the next uh, point is, is really crucial because when that thing starts to work, sometimes it's really easy to think that, that my spiritual gift or your spiritual gift is better than someone else's. Verse 19 says, How strange would it be if the body only had one part? Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. So the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand, head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some of the parts that seem the weakest... And the least important are actually the most necessary. See, this writer was, was hitting this image of a group of people being a body. Now, now, I think that there's some really cool things to that because, number one, a body is living. It's an organism. And, and we're not an institution. Um, we fit together. Number two, a body needs its parts and has to have this living, breathing, like in our bodies, there has to be blood flowing through us if we're going to live. There has to be a heart that pumps that if we're going to actually survive. And in, in, in us, I believe that means that the Holy Spirit pumps through us and the Holy Spirit has to live into our body and we have to remain attached to the Holy Spirit. And as we are attached to the Holy Spirit, that works. Now, if... Uh, I have uh, a friend who lost a leg in a car accident. And so at night, he takes his leg off and in essence says, I don't need you, and throws it on the floor. Now that works because it's severed. Um, I watched a Paralympic skier and she did an interview and she lost her legs right there. And she said, you know, the greatest part of it is I get to decide what shoes, what size shoe I want to wear because I can make my feet whatever size I want them. And so we, we can almost, like, I know you might not be tracking with me. Where are you going? It's okay. I think we sometimes do that in church, though. 
I think we sometimes do that in our families. Where we go, gosh, it'd sure be nice to just choose what size foot I have. It'd sure be nice to choose what friends. It'd be sure be nice if I could just pick like from you the people that come through the door. Um, or it should be nice if I could decide how my family behaved. <laughs> Hit something there. Um, but that would remember, that would require us to sever first. That's why my friend gets to decide he doesn't get his leg because it was already cut off. He already went through months of agony to do that. And I think this is telling us something bigger than that. To say that that we don't need the setup team would mean that these chairs just end up here magically or or they don't and we sit on the floor. And um, To say that we don't need the hospitality team would be, oh, we don't need coffee or or food and, and that sharing and, and on a day like when the Daylight savings time goes ahead, that would at least be bad for me. Um, and I think sometimes we subtly do that. And so this is saying, nope, one spiritual gift is not better than another. All are necessary. It says in verse 18 that God has each part where he wants it. This one is big for me, and I don't know, I don't want to project it onto you. Uh, so I'll just take a second here. But but God has each part where they, he wants it. Have you, have you thought about that a little bit more? Uh, I remember reading this uh, many years ago and thinking, uh, okay, God has each part where, where he wants it. So does that mean he's figured out his place for me? Um, does that mean he's figured out his gifts for me? Can, can I want something different? And through a number of years, um, what I learned was that that God has crafted me just like he's crafted each of you to have certain gifts. Uh, and he's going to use them sometimes in one way only, but sometimes in different ways. And so it's not me trying to find my place and, and get in there, but more discovering where the opportunities lie based on how the Spirit is moving in my life. Because God wants me in a certain place, and I think that God wants each of us in a certain place. And so if he's brought you, like, specifically to restoration, that's great. I love that, and I believe that that's for a divine purpose. I believe that if you follow Jesus already, then the Holy Spirit has come into your life and has given you spiritual gifts, and you have something that, that this group needs, God has placed you where he wants for the building up of this group. We need that. We haven't figured it out. We've been doing services for a little over a year. We've been meeting together for about a year and a half. We don't have it figured out. There are things that you have that we need, and God does that so his mission is accomplished. So that would lead us to thinking that the spiritual gifts then are kind of about me or they're kind of about you, right? Because if, if we need you, and I just said we need you, and this God needs you to show that his body is multifaceted, then it'd be easy to think that our gifts are about us. But 1 Corinthians twelve seven says the spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Or maybe your translation says the spirit is given to each of us the spiritual gift so that 
we can, or for the common good. This idea of the common good is meaning that God has placed us in community so that the gifts are not for our enjoyment, our benefit, but for the benefit of others. They're for the fellowship. They're for the encouraging and the building up of the community of God's people. Wendy um, was pulled in by Leslie's spiritual gift of hospitality and then included in this group. And then Wendy's gifts were shared amongst this group. And then these other women on this retreat were built up and encouraged so that they could become mature in Christ. First Peter says it really well in this way. It says, God has given each of us a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. See, the goal isn't that we create a cool place to worship God. The goal isn't that, um, that we have lots of people come through the doors. Um, I mean, we might want all that, but the goal of the church, according to the Bible, comes from this idea in Ephesians 4 that says, the goal of the spiritual gifts that Jesus gives is to produce maturity and stability in the body of Christ or in the church family. It says Jesus gives gifts and equips his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach such unity in the faith and knowledge of Jesus that we become mature, measuring up to the fullness of Christ. So there's a growth, there's a maturity, and the best way to illustrate this is to invite Mike up. And Mike uh, gets to use his spiritual gifts sometimes in his vocation, but um, he has a cool story about how this has matured, not just him, but also those he works with. All right. Um, I need to start by saying that growing up, I loved to argue and debate with anyone and everything. And I blame this directly on my older and larger brother. Uh, He was close in age to me, a year and a half older than me. So we competed and we had lots of interesting conversations and confrontations growing up. And when you're smaller, if it became a physical confrontation, you'd lose. So I started to argue with him and debate with him. You know, if you punch me, let's think about what mom's going to do. Do you really want that? I used these skills and developed these skills, and I was always acutely aware of the ability to talk my way out of a lot of things. So when I got to be in high school, and it was 10th grade, and there was time for Mike to have a curfew, I kind of laid out my opening remarks. I just said, let me start by asking you the question, what is a curfew? (laughs) And I would move on. And unfortunately, that was less a democracy, and it was much more a hierarchy and, you know, that kind of society in that household. So I was not able to win that argument. But a lot of times, I won the arguments. And it was not always necessarily that I had fun winning them as much as having them. I love that piece of of debate, of argument, and playing devil's advocate, even when your point was absolutely horrible, I'd still argue it because it was kind of fun. So I wanted to be a lawyer. That was what I wanted to be in life. That was what I thought about in high school. That's what I thought about my freshman year in college. I took criminal justice. I was a pre-law major. I thought that was really cool. I was going to be a lawyer, be really rich, argue with people, and make everybody feel like I was in charge. Because isn't that the goal? Um, But then uh, after my freshman year of college, I coached my sister's soccer team. Um, It was an under under 13 um, group of players. That's actually not them. But you can leave those up there because I'll get to that in a second. But I coached my sister's soccer team, and I loved it. 
it was something where when I coached, I honestly felt like I was where I should be. And talking with the girls and showing them how to play soccer and showing them how to mature as soccer players was something that just kind of grabbed hold of me that summer. And it was kind of this nagging feeling in the back of my head that maybe being a lawyer was not necessarily in the cards and in my life and in my future. So that fall, I changed my majors and I became an elementary ed major because I wanted to teach kids that were smaller than me. And that was the way to do it. <laughs> I became an elementary ed major and everything just kind of started to work. I still knew that I liked the whole idea of being a lawyer. I still knew that I wanted to make an argument. I still knew that I wanted to have a debate. But it was, maybe as Rob was talking earlier, that was maybe more a talent than it was a gift. And so then becoming a teacher and also becoming a coach really started to just form my life and how I was able to use some of those gifts that God gave me. Um, but I did feel that that was still, for me, it was a little bit of an occupation and less use of my gifts. And a number of years ago, I just decided that I needed to kind of branch out a little bit. I needed to use those gifts a little more. So I actually signed up for the Big Brother program, and I was hoping to get a little brother who would be perfect, who I could take everywhere, and it would be really cool and probably help me meet women and things like that. <laughs> and I could... I could take him, you know, golfing, and I could take him to hockey games. I could take him to basketball games, and we would just hang out. He'd be really cool. He'd, you know, he'd look up to me all the time, of course, and uh, it would be awesome. And uh, unfortunately, that was not what Armani had in mind. And I met Armani five years ago, about four and a half years ago. There he is right there. Um, we're, of course, we're golfing. And uh, Armani and I got to be pretty good friends, but the whole thing that I had thought about about how this relationship was going to work just didn't quite work out that way. And Armani's past and his issue with his mom and his father who was in jail when we first met and things like this, life just wasn't the same for Armani as it was for me. And so the way that we developed our relationship was really kind of unique in the way that I was able to have an impact on his life and the way that he was able to kind of have an impact on my life was, was something I wasn't prepared for. But over the course of those four and a half years, I, I really feel like God has gifted me in being able to relate to him. And not just in knowing where he's come from, because I have no idea where he's come from, truly. I don't know what life is like for him outside of when we're together. I know it's not good, and I know he struggles with it, and his mom definitely struggles with it. But just being able to impact him in the way that I live my life and the way that I talk to him and kind of the, the confidence that I can help bring to him. And it truly is God, God's gift in me that he is having me use for his glory and at least changing one life and kind of creating a little dent. I still coach a lot, um, and that is another certainly area that I feel gifted. Um, I feel like my coaching is certainly... Uh, being able to take something that I'm passionate about and share it with kids. And middle school kids specifically. I tried high school coaching, and that didn't work. It worked okay, but I'm much better working with, with kids who, who still can burp on command and still think farting is kind of funny more than gross. Um, I probably shouldn't have said that in church, but that's all right. Is that cool? Yeah, Rob's laughing, so that's probably cool. Oh, that's not always the best sign when Rob's laughing. Um, 
but anyways, uh, it's just the way that I work with those kids and the way that I'm able to have fun with them while I'm coaching. And at the middle school level, it's not always as serious, maybe at the high school level. And I just think that that's a gift for me to be able to not just teach them the game of soccer, but actually teach them how to overcome things in their lives and teach them how to um, take losing and use it as a good thing and how they approach the next game and just in how to develop, how to mature. And I do think, and I, I worship a God who is big enough to have taken me if I had become a lawyer and still made me uh, use my gifts in working with kids. I have no doubt about that. Um, and my, uh, my gifts in terms of being able to work with kids, especially the middle school kids and kids like Armani, um, I still, you know, that, that is a gift. And I'm able to kind of cross that with, with my occupation. But that doesn't always happen. And it doesn't have to happen. Like I said, I think if I had become a lawyer, I still would have been able to use my gifts with kids, maybe through coaching or the Big Brother program. But for me, I, I think I kind of got lucky. And I think I was able to make those two kind of coincide and make those two um, have some unity. So with that, I'll turn it back to Rob. Thanks, Mike. I think what is it, the question is, how, do, how does God use us? How does God be glorified in our spiritual gifts? And I hope that by hearing Wendy's story and Mike's story and this um, writer Paul talking about 1 Corinthians 12, you can see that the spiritual gifts are more connected to us and to God than they are to me and my talents. And so part of that is just discovering um, and practicing and reading 1 Corinthians 12 over or Ephesians 4 or Romans 12 to see where those spiritual gifts lie. And then often, like Mike said, he tried it. He tried it and it didn't work and he tried something else. And the best way that we can see God working in our lives is to try and then hear from other spiritual people. Hey, when you did that, I saw God show up. That might be a sign that it's a spiritual gift. We are connected. Um, We are a part of Christ's body and we have to think about what the implication is for that. And Paul sums it up and I think this is the way that we, um, we go from here is he says, now there's all these gifts, so eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now let me show you the most excellent way. And he goes into a chapter about love. He says, it wouldn't matter if I had the gift of prophecy. It wouldn't matter if I spoke in the tongues of men and of angels, because if I didn't have love, then it'd only be a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And he goes on and on through this little sonnet. And he says, now... Faith, hope, and love remain, and the greatest of these is love. That is the greatest gift. It's not something that um, we just say to, to go out and love. But as we seek to be the church together, as we seek to follow the way of Jesus together, this idea of love has to permeate what we do in each part of our lives. So as we close in worship, I encourage you to say, God, what do I need? What's my next step with the Holy Spirit? Take a minute and just ask God that and pray that he would speak to you. Maybe it's taking, um, working through a spiritual gifts conversation. Maybe it's jumping into a life group and having conversations around what does it mean to be gifted. Maybe it's spending time with with others in your family or around here to 
to practice some of these things in a serving way or in an outreach way. But just say, God, you have me here. How do you want to use me?